The 9 to 5 Entertainment System is a podcast hosted and produced by three middle-class white men. We are not qualified to meaningfully comment on the intricate and relevant aspects of racism, police brutality, and social reform. That being said, we would like to clearly and unequivocally state that we believe the following. Black lives matter. Police brutality must stop. Racism is systemic in our city, province, and country. And radical, powerful, and constant action is required to address these issues. If you think your time would be better spent listening to some other podcasts, we have a couple of shows we'd like to recommend, like Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay, Small Doses with Amanda Seals, Bodega Boys with Jesus and Mero. Uh, There's an episode of Throughline with Run Abdel Fattah and Ramteen Arablui that they recently recorded about the history of the American police system. And 1619 is actually a six-part series hosted by Nicole Hannah-Jones on how slavery has transformed America. You might also want to check out Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo, hosted by award-winning Creed journalist Connie Walker. And now, 90S. You're listening to a 9to5.cc podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode of 90S. This is episode 211. Uh, We talk about the Fast and the Furious franchise. We spend some time talking about the hunt for Red October. I get assigned a fantastic new best movie ever, which in turn has us talking about the fictitious Dungeons & Dragons setting of Dragonlance. We also then talk about Pern. We then talk about the upcoming game Star Wars Scrodgen. We then talk about uh, EA, which has a problem with moderating uh, their online games. And then we talk about sports and people can be better and learn from their mistakes. All this and more on the brand new 9 to 5 entertainment system. And uh, just a heads up, we have a very long episode of Garbage Time over on Patreon uh, this week. So if you want to subscribe at the $3 or more level, that's waiting for you on patreon.com slash 9 to 5 CC. Enjoy the show. been how how are the fast and the furious movies treating you buddy you're muted good podcasting start <laughs> you like that <laughs> pretty great they are um dumber than i was expecting somehow. really wait i had john to... is this your first watch through of them yes yes it is i think oh I, like i might have seen one of them years ago possibly while really hammered many yeah, like, many cer- years ago certainly sober <laughs> Yeah, so like being able to actually interpret these things, <laughs> like having them enter the brain, is a new experience. You've also matured as a as a film uh, thinker, mm-hmm. right? As, as a critic, I and like as to a watcher. So. Yeah. And now you're watching these with the the critical eye that can only come from 200 episodes of a pop culture podcast. Talking, talking about movies every two weeks. Yeah. I, can I just get where everyone stands on this, Keith? Where, what do you think about Fast and the Furious? As a friend. Uh, I think it starts good, gets bad, and then is currently great. All right. <laughs> that is, that's like, I was like, episode one. That's right. I'm going to use the Star Wars nomenclature. <laughs> Fast and Furious, episode one. I mean, episode it one. is a little tricky. I had to, to go to a website to find a list of how to watch them, right? Because like... Th- Tokyo uh, Drift is out of... Yeah, they're all, they're out, they get out of order at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it. I remember like one was cool. Two, Hold I on, you was... should use the actual names, right? One is oh, The Fast and the Furious. The Fast and the Furious. Two, two is Too Fast, Too fast furious. furious. I remember that being pretty trash. It was like, it was pretty awful. It was clear very... that it was a bit of a cash-in, but yeah. there was some fun driving. Like, as long as oh. it hits that note, you know? 
Yeah, it, oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, like, like they figure like, that out later on in the series. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't even know. Three, Fast and Furious is the third. Three is Fast and Furious. Yeah, I'm on that one now. I, I had to turn it off halfway. And Next I was like, I Tokyo remember Drift. Yeah, exactly. And I remember three being pretty bad. I remember Tokyo Drift being good, but it exists kind of apart. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's just sort of like saying like it's like it is to the Fast and the Furious as like Rogue Squadron is to Star Wars. Like it is like a, not any of the people you recognize from the first film except for one character. Right. Like it's yeah. Paul, Paul Walker and then an entirely new cast in an entirely new location doing like. Wait, Paul Walker is not in Fast and Furious. Uh, Tokyo, Tokyo. Isn't he? I thought no, he's the only no, character. No, no. It's, it's like the Asian sidekick guy from. Uh, Fast and the Furious. Han. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. And, Han is, and, and Vin Diesel makes a cameo. has the Dom cameo at the end. Yeah. There's even a throwaway line, I think, in the Fast, uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, where he's like, I think I'm going to go check out the action in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it happens. And four was real bad. Okay. But four was awful. And if I'm not mistaken, that one, they like CG'd up the car chases a little too much. Mm. Like, and it looks awful like the list that i had went from uh fast and furious all the way to five fast five furious fast like five. Just, there was no yeah fast five there, there was no um fourth one did it skip four altogether like i don't know don't either want... like i when i saw the list i was like maybe there's just not a fourth one they just went <laughs> straight from four is, four is the one that has the, the 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 car chase through the mines i think you and i might even watch that one oh like, yeah a, that sounds familiar a, yeah there's a dumb car chase through mines that looks real bad and like it's super dark and poorly lit and yeah, not cool. Yeah. But then yeah, five kicks it up a notch and then they've just been like amping up to insanity. Like since, so like, yeah, like five, six, seven, eight are nuts. And Hobbs and Shaw is psychotic. Like, I guess I really now appreciate better the deep irony of him dying in a car accident, driving too fast, you know, like, wow. Yeah. 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 It is. <laughs> and that, and that, that's the, the other uh, thing too. Four is, four is called, Fast and Furious. I'm pretty sure that's the third one. No, four is called Fast and Furious, but the A is a four, yo. Oh. <laughs> in the in the typeset. <laughs> because it's a perfect it's, series. It's fast Five, Fast yeah. and Furious Six, Furious Seven, and then of course the, the beautifully named Fate of the Furious. It's so good. Yeah. It's so dumb. And it's like flies into Hobbs and Shaw because Vin Diesel and The Rock don't like each other. Yep. And uh, yeah, Fast Nine is coming out, and it's whenever people can go to the movies again. Yeah. I also like. I I can't wait till you get further on into the into the filmography into the deep lore of Fast and the Furious because it's like they're literally like. I mean, we talked about Hobbs and Shaw, which is yeah. it, like it is in the Fast Verse, right? And it's like. <laughs> Hobbs, the the plot of Hobbs and Shaw has two characters from Fast and the Furious fighting like cybernetically enhanced super soldiers to save the planet from a genetically engineered like super virus. And, <laughs> and where do they go to fight this? The, uh, into the island of Samoa. Yes. And then fight them with tribal weaponry. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, and you're like, remember when it was about stealing so cars? Like, remember when stealing cars was the point? <laughs> and you're like, no, those times are over. Simpler times. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, it's complete insanity. But so, yeah, so I think one is good. Like, from memory, one was just like a good 
kind of operated in that same gone in 60 seconds yeah. area. Yeah. You're just like, it's a heist with cool cars. Yep. And everybody's acting cool. And Ja Rule. And Ja Rule. And also the, uh, I think we, we might have mentioned this on past podcasts, like how the Fast and the Furious movies always pass the, the Bechdel test. Like they're, they're all feminist films. Mm, they pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, they have, so yeah, exactly. That's it. Like you're familiar with the Bechdel test, John? Yeah. The women are only talk about uh, their boyfriends or. Um, two men. T- yeah. 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 So yeah, exactly. the Bechdel test, two women have to have a conversation that's not about boys. Right. Yeah. Right. And the Fast and the Furious, I believe, I think maybe one of them fails, but for the most part, uh, two women almost always have like a conversation about cars. <laughs> so if they often like. Okay, but, but hold on. The fact that every female character has to wear super tight cutoff shorts and super, super tight tops. Two, again, so do the men. Very, <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, exactly. There's like Vin Diesel's in like mesh tank tops yeah like pretty much constantly i feel that like and i think that's kind of the like that i think that was part of the marketing ploy right was like the guys want to go see the movie for like the cars and whatever else like that and then they were like and we'll just make the guys totally eye candy too Mm -hmm. from a marketing perspective and then it's just we're just going to lean into this is hot people driving fast cars you know and just like yeah because i think this is also like peak sexy vin diesel right like i feel he was like a like stud at this phase, and then you said it. You said it, not me. I mean, <laughs> I feel my memories are that like Paul Walker was for the like the the people that like a pretty boy, and then like Vin Diesel was like for the people that like like a manly stud. So they had like the two angles of like hot guy, you know, like uh-huh. Vin Diesel was and Walker. Paul Walker, the two angles, <laughs> the two the two standards of sexuality in the year nineteen ninety nine. And I feel like they go out of their way in the movies to make a lot of uh, the women tough as nails. Absolutely. Yeah, cable Absolutely. cable yeah. women are like a very, very big through line in uh, in the Fast and the Furious like films, like up to and including Hobbs and Shaw, where uh, I don't even know which one's Hobbs and which one's Shaw. Like, they're, they're just because they're just The Rock and Jason Statham. The movie might as well be called <laughs> The Rock and Jason Statham Save the World. Hobbs is The Rock. <laughs> okay. I'd watch that movie also. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock and Jason Statham Save the World, coming to Netflix. Uh, so yeah, on, honest reviews. Like, are what? What is? How are they going? Um, yeah. I'm actually I'm like enjoying them enough to keep going. The um, they're actually kind of perfect video game candy to put on the other screen because you don't really want to put your full attention on these movies, but there there's like enough action and fun stuff that you you can pay attention. I'm definitely gonna watch. All of these goddamn movies. I mean, <laughs> I haven't watched any of them with your 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 lady. I feel like that would be oh, a tough man. sell. No, we watched Hunt for the Red October this weekend, though. Oh, that was good fun. A classic, you know, like the classic Lithuanian Russian accent being Scottish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But I mean, but all all foreign accents are you know from the UK. That's how. Like, That's when you how watch we know quiet on the Western Front. All of the Germans have British accents. You're like, what's going on? <laughs> You're like, That's not how this war went. Yeah. I have to say it held up. Like this, this was like a smartly put together movie. You know, mm-hmm. um, still felt. Don't tense. you, don't you watch it and then be like, how on earth did Alec Baldwin become one of the premier comedic actors of our time? It blew my yeah. mind. Looking back at it. Yeah, I, I don't know that he, he his acting was that great, but maybe his timing was, and that's the thing that transfers over. 
because mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of Thirty Rock lately with Marissa, and Thirty Rock, he's oh, so he's, good. Yeah, yeah. Thirty Rock I feel is peak Alec Baldwin. Well, he it's, is he's, so fucking funny. But that's from out of nowhere, been, right? Yeah. He spent the eighties and nineties like trying to be a serious actor doing. Well, no, but he was always camera. He was always kind of a standout host on SNL, right? Like. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, we have Alec Baldwin, and you'd like, like Canteen Boy sketches with Alec Baldwin was like still when Alec Baldwin was like a, a dramatic actor at the mm-hmm. time. But you're just like, he's just like home running it in the way that a lot of the dramatic guys don't always like pan out. Like, like when Daniel Craig goes on SNL, he doesn't create like best ever sketches, you know? Like, yeah, but the like NPR, Alec- the NPR sketch is like all time best, right? Yeah, exactly. That's it. So, with the warm cocoa and all that. Um, Sh- sweaty balls. And sweaty balls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I was like, him and Christopher Walken, I think, are the two guys who you're like, because of SNL, you're like, oh, these guys are hilarious. Like, also. <laughs> like, uh, and Shia LaBeouf, obviously, because of Dear Sister. <laughs> the greatest SNL sketch of all time. I can't tell. Here's what, here's what I think is going to happen. I'm going to shoot you, then you're going to shoot me, and then we're going to turn around and both shoot each other. The two guys. Mm, what you say? It's a great sketch. I don't know about best all time. Uh, I can mean, we it's... Can we do the Mount Rushmore of uh, SNL sketches? Mount Rushmore of SNL sketches. Whoa. That'd be tough. Like, that'd be really hard. Put that, one in, fever. Put that one in the bank, guys. And, and the, th- <laughs> the cure is more cowbell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. As like... Like, I, I can easily admit that Dear Sister is not an all-time great in the Pantheon, but I was like, but in terms of, like, the sketch that I personally am most likely to quote at any given point, it's 100% what you say, like, when someone gets shot. Anytime someone gets shot dramatically in a film, in my mind, like, if you get shot and you fall down in slow motion, it could be the most serious film of all time. And my brain will be like, mm, what you say? Like, as know. the guy slowly falls to his death or whatever. <laughs> Scott Does works in a hospital. You see people die all the time, right? Probably not. Are you saying what promotion. you say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the ER staff has to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's when they call a code that, like, that's what plays over the speakers. Yeah, they're like, call it time of death, 1159, and mm, what you say? <laughs> it's very unprofessional, but boy, oh. does it gets a laugh every time. Over the whole hospital. It's, that's <laughs> what I think. Like every loudspeaker plays it. We all know. We all know. Uh, Hunt for Red October. Do you remember the NES game? Do you remember the NES game? Hunt no, for Red October? I never boy, actually played it. Boy, it's bad. That's like, it's you control the Red October and you kind of need, it's like a very bad, like, and you don't really shoot. It's like kind of a side-scrolling shooter, if I recall. This wow. Like half- that's, but- that's what that movie turns into. <laughs> That's right. But like also I feel that like you don't shoot very much. So it's just like a side scrolling, like avoid, like avoiding mines and just kind of like going up and down, trying not to hit stuff. And if as many a uh, a film to NES port was like has nothing to do with the movie whatsoever. And it's bad. You remember all the conch shells they ran around collecting in Jaws? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah that's a good time i was like do you remember the random hole that et fell into and then just couldn't get out uh-huh. and just yeah, wanders yeah. around and then he pieced together a telephone you know it's wicked a bunch of guys got together and patched that game so it so that it wasn't quite so easy to fall in those holes and they released <laughs> it like in the last two or three years <laughs> i listened to a um wait, wait, wait. john are you watching through all the jack ryan stuff 
Because if you're on Prime, it's all there. Mm, no, I only saw Hunt for the Red October because it popped up on Netflix. But right. I might get Prime just to watch them all. Cause, I'm not sure there's... You can go from that to Patriot Games and Clear and Present Dancer, the yeah. the Harrison Ford's ones. Ugh, then man, he was can, so bad. It's it's a weird it's a weird watch. I mean, Sean Bean plays the bad guy in uh, Patriot Games, and that's spoilers. Excellent. He dies. I mean, <laughs> like I don't remember Patriot Games, but Sean Bean played the guy. So uh, was, you know, even even when Harrison Ford was still sort of young when those movies came out, and he he looked yeah. old. You know, like yep. his action was old and slow and grunty. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then it quickly slides over into the opposite of that, the Ben Affleck, uh, some of all fears. Yeah. Which is full of insane action. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that they were like, they, some of all fears is the answer to Jason Bourne and stuff, right? Like it's, it's like, sort of the, like, the stakes are way higher in some of all fears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. James Bondish almost like more serious, but like it's an action film. If I remember yeah. some of those years, like it's not a an espionage. And then you get into Chris Pine's Shadow Recruit, mm-hmm. which is not great. At it. No, that it was, it was just kind of bland. You know, like you yeah. kind of wanted something. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to make Shadow Recruit with anyone, you probably should have gotten Harrison Ford back again because the way mm-hmm. that the action worked, a seven year old would have been would have been perfect for it. And then you can get into the Jack Ryan TV show. With John Krasinski, I think? Yeah. Yeah. How's he doing? That. Good. Yeah? Yeah. He kind of grabs a lot of all of the other actors and smashes it together into an awkward Jack Ryan who... Does he mug he... at the camera? Tell me he doesn't mug at the camera. <laughs> he doesn't mug at the camera. Zoom, zooms in on him. Yeah. Although, when when he you know push comes to shove and he has to kill a terrorist, it's kind of a weird thing. You're like, I don't really want to see John Krasinski kill people. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like this. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, Tom Clancy on on Prime right now. Sure. Does he does he put his fingers to his lips to quiet someone in a way that no one has ever put their fingers to their lips to quiet someone in the history of time? <laughs> In a, quiet, in a quiet place where he just like puts his fingers to his lips, but also like smushes his nose and pushes it over, like when he's like to his kid. Uh, I remember weird things in films, guys. That's your takeaway from a quiet place. <laughs> That's right. Um, but Sean Connery was badass in it, though. No, like I, I seem to remember that being like at least as a child, I was like, "This is a, a cool badass Russian who doesn't take no for an answer." Like it, it the whole thing. I thought it kind of worked. If you if you gave it a pass for the accents, like mm-hmm. there there was good there was good performances all over the place, and like half of the actors on there you really really like. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the list over here, which I should have so, done before. It's a good plot too. Refresh my memory. It's kind of it's a it's a broken arrow submarine, right? Like where it's like no. a nuclear sub that's like no dice. I am doing my own thing. The deal is that it has its it has a special drive on it that makes it completely silent, called a okay. caterpillar. And mm-hmm. the deal is that they load it up with the Russians build this thing, load it up with a hojillion nuclear warheads, and then the the captain of it on its maiden voyage steals it, right? And his plan is to defect to the Americans and give it to them. And his reason for doing so is that his, um, he feels betrayed by the whole thing. And he knows that this is only a first strike weapon. So he doesn't want the Russians going and attacking with it. But then Mm -hmm. the Russians, knowing that he has escaped and knowing that he intends to defect, tell the Americans that he is in fact going to go and and launch the missiles. So they're trying to get the Americans to come in and, and blow him up. 
mm -hmm. to stop him from defecting with the technology. And of course, uh, Jack Ryan has to show up and then he gets helicoptered onto another submarine and then they, they dock and they meet Ramius, who is the, the, the defecting leader, um, played by Sean Connery. And uh, it, there's, there's like great, great scenes that still had lots and lots and lots of tension. Debbie commented that all the submarines had shitty lighting. Like there would be like red flashing strobe lights, you know, that like heighten the drama of the moment that you're in there. But if you were trying to work, it'd be really garbage. <laughs> also, every Jack Ryan movie and TV show has Jack Ryan at some point going, the military is wrong. I know this guy. I've studied yeah. him. It's amazing. It's kind of his thing, right? right. He's like the, the like info dude. Anyway, so like In good performances. We, we talked about Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin, right? But don't forget Sam Neill plays a good, a good role as like the right hand in command on the Russian side. He's and way intense in that movie. He is, but he's like, you want some of those Russian guys. It's like a stereotypical Russian soldier intensity, you know? Yeah. But, but he's like, I, I believably torn. Yeah. Between his duty to his commanding officer and, and what he thinks is happening. James Earl Jones plays one of the CIA guys who directs Jack Ryan and gets them all caught up into this thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't the CIA it. guy. Say again? The CIA guy. Yeah. He's like a recurring character through all the, all the shows, movies. Do you want to He's Morgan him? Freeman and some of all fears. And he's the guy from the wire in the TV show. Hmm. Funk. Is it the cool. same character all the time? Yep. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Do I want to rank this thing? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. You guys have all seen this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, apparently Scott's a, a Jack Ryan expert because he just ran through all of the films. I believe, uh, from had memory. you not also seen all of them? <laughs> I, I have seen all of them. I've seen I, all of those too, yeah. But like, certainly couldn't name them. If you were like, name all the Jack oh. Ryan movies, I'd be like... Pfft. So I watched the Jack Ryan TV show like all of it in the last two months and I spent a lot of nights catching up on all the movies so I've, I've watched all of them oh, all of like the Jack it. Ryan content and, this and like recently yeah hmm. uh, yeah I don't know where to, yeah, I where does Simply Good go like I don't know that that's my takeaway on, on like on Hunt for Red October you're like it's good yeah oh that's the other character John from Hunt for October, Tim Curry is the doctor. Oh yeah, the doctor. <laughs> he's, he's amazing. It's it's well done because Tim Curry is playing a little bit restrained for Tim Curry, and he comes off as a little unhinged for a, a submarine <laughs> medic. You know, <laughs> you can tell he's trying to rein it in. I would I would actually put this. I'm going to just start somewhere around uh, 67 Top Gun. I would Ooh. put this a little up. Sneakers. I might put it below sneakers, but I think it's in the right area. I think that I was I was very much the zone I was looking at. Yeah, I, I could see that. Those are good comparables. Sneakers, yeah, yeah absolutely. Another star-studded smart movie. That's it. I think I remember sneakers. Like sneakers, I think put more of an impact on me. Like yeah, me too. I remember, like I remember sneakers. I was like, this is super cool. Whereas, like, Hunt for Red October was really just a, a like I said, a well. Perfectly well executed spy movie. So like, what I would do, like is... in, a, in a true spy movie, also like I think yeah. that was like as, watching it as a kid, I was like, uh, like going in kind of expecting like a James Bond, and it is not that. It's not like gadgets and whatever. It's, it's much like, smarter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's espionage, and we don't know what this person's doing, and it doesn't end with like 
Blofeld petting a cat or whatever, you know, like you're like, this is, this is something you're like, this could happen. Yeah. Ish. Well, I would, I would put it just underneath slow West and just above star Wars episode seven, the force awakens. Mm. Force awakens is my, is my question. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What's the question? Is is can Force Awakens is it below Force Awakens? Oh hell no! Yeah. Man, this is a hunt for the Red October. Force Awakens was like they phoned it in. Yeah, but it was Force an enjoyable was, experience. That was the one I I don't think they phoned in. Force Awakens was the one I think they put a real bunch of thought into of the the new three, and then but, they forgot about all. All the, they, they was making a reboot. <laughs> Yeah, but Force Force Awakens like laid groundwork that didn't pay off, which it, like it's like in turn makes the Force Awakens worse. But we didn't know that when we saw Force Awakens. It's true. Like, that's it's like in a in a void. I think Star Wars Force Awakens is good, but because yeah. of all of the unanswered questions, like the there's one of those failure like, to deliver on all promises. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Like it, it's a. Uh, it reminds me. Of, yeah, it reminds me of one of those. There, there's the, the best one that I've ever seen of it was with Lost, where it's just a guy be saying like, "What about this? And what about that?" And just like running through all of the unanswered questions in Lost and being like, "What about the smoke? Why did this happen? Why did?" And like so just running. Through. I was on Force Awakens one. Slash R slash movies today. Someone is talking about J.J. Abrams and saying like, ah, whatever, he fucked up all this. He fucked up, you know, a big a big email or a big thread where they're just complaining about all the things that he screwed up. And then somebody responds saying, hey, I bet that he's super fun to work with and that's how he keeps getting jobs. And then somebody responds underneath that saying, look, I work in Hollywood. You know, you don't have to believe this. Obviously, it's a Reddit comment. But he's like, yeah. look, I work in Hollywood and I've worked with J.J. And he's – that's exactly correct. He's super, super nice. Everybody loves working with him. He always bends over for the studios and like plays ball, does whatever they want, just, you know, like makes it easy to deal with them. And consequently, everybody wants to work with him. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. pretty, that's, he's pretty much big budget Kevin Smith, I guess, in that way. Like, big budget. You know, I don't, I think you're giving Kevin Smith way too much credit. Like, no. as much as I don't like a lot of the stuff that he's done, he has done more clever things than Kevin Smith. I mean, yeah, but Clerks and Mallrats are very good. Yes, they and, were. But, but also, but then still more creative than Clerks. Sure, but I'm just saying. But how does Kevin Smith keep getting budget? Like he does he gets to make but, but same way Adam Sandler does. No, 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 oh, no, yeah. no. Adam Sandler is way smarter than Kevin Smith. But the deal with Kevin Smith though is it's super nice guy and super whatever else like that. So you have all these big name actors who are totally willing to do scale and just like mm. hang out and be on right. Kevin Smith. Set. Okay. And that's great. But then he does not turn it into commercial success in the manner that JJ Abrams has. Absolutely not. That's why I said he's big budget. Kevin Smith. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like He gets, he gets to be successful, but it's, they have similar vibes as people. Hmm. <laughs> just Kevin, Kevin Smith doesn't actually get to make a bunch of money with his stupidity. The other thing that guy said was that J.J. Abrams was a legit superstar movie buff. Like you, you talk to him about any film and mm-hmm. he's going to come up with clever stories about it. And he's going to know exactly what you're talking about. I'm sure that makes him endearing to a bunch of Hollywood people. I'll bet. I'll bet. Every conversation. Oh yeah. I know that movie that you yeah. worked on intricately. Yeah. We produced that. It was amazing. The producer's like, yes, it was amazing. And as a producer, I take credit for it. And you're like, producers. <laughs> You just bankroll a film. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could, I could see that, though. Between Slow West and Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Sure. Hunt for Red October. Right on. You guys should watch Slow West, by the way. I, I know I'm the only one who watched it, but, it's man, true. that movie was good. Oh, man. Um, 
We were talking just, uh, before we before we press record. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if I want to talk about this or if I want it to be a garbage time talking about. Boy, you you built it up here, buddy. Garbage time. Yeah, sure did. So anyway, if you want to hear what I'm thinking about right now, uh, join our Patreon. Oh, I see. That's what it was. <laughs> it wasn't actually that, but I was I'll like, I bet it, it wasn't. No, but it, it's so. Here's the spoiler: is we're going to talk about a movie that I haven't watched yet, but that I want to watch. That sounds great. So I think I think that there's I think that the actual film is more main show content, but then talking about wanting to watch it is more garbage time content in the well, nature that, of garbage time. That segues nicely into what John and I have for you. Oh, oh we've got a movie. Too. We've got a movie that you haven't watched it either. You don't know that. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I, do. I do. I <laughs> do. So is it time for best movie ever? Sure is. So oh, let's, no. let's go back. The year was 2008. Okay. It wasn't necessarily a good movie for a good year for movies, but it had this one. So, uh, so starring our good friend, uh, Kiefer Sutherland mm-hmm. with him along is Lucy Lawless doing a bit of a, a departure role for her. And okay. underneath there we have Michelle Trachtenberg. Good fun. Okay. Okay. So the big star main character, Michael Rosenbaum. I don't know that I, I don't know Michael Rosenbaum. Recognize Michael Rosenbaum. He played, he played Lex Luthor on the Smallville series and was the voice of the flash in justice league. Hmm. Okay. So. okay. so this is going into um, nerd classic territory. This is like a true classic of the D&D nerd. Okay. Spoiling things up for you here. Mm-hmm. Animated feature. Animated feature. Mm-hmm. 2008. Yep. So these are all voice... Yes, these are all voice actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it's and it's D, is it D&D like adjacent or is it like this an officially sanctioned D&D product? Even better, it's an officially sanctioned Dragonlance product okay. from 2008. So you know the relevance is like 18, 28 years out of date. What? I can see you typing. Uh, So here we go. The film is Dragonlance, Dragons of Autumn Twilight, animated and released in 2008. So you might not know Dragonlance. I'm I'm familiar with the setting. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like I have like the D&D setting. Have you read any of these? I've never gotten into Dragonlance whatsoever. They're pretty rough. So I I loved them a lot when I was young. But um, having gone back to read them as adults, they have not fared well. They... Okay, so we just watched the trailer, listener. <laughs> and here's what I think happened. Did you love every minute of it? Uh, I did. And I don't think it's going to be that bad, personally. I think it's going to be like pretty much trite fantasy nonsense. But I think what happened here on this film is uh, someone probably produced it as a pilot to a series. And then that series did not get picked up, but they had like a four-part like this would be like the four parts, first four episodes of a show, or hmm. whatever, and then they just mashed it into, uh, like, just release it because they had already made the thing. That's my that's my take. Oh man, <laughs> L- listen to listen to some of these reviews. Jason okay. Heller of the AV Club commented that this film went direct to video and for good reason. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Not even the voice acting <laughs> talents can save its shoddy, out of date animation and flat storytelling. Uh huh. Ryan Harvey of Blackgate said, if Wizards of the Coast, the current owners of D&D, had serious intentions of starting starting a successful line of direct-to-video animated films, they couldn't have done a finer job of slicing themselves off at the knees with a broadsword. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the thing, man. Dragonlance, even though it's not like people, it's not a huge IP. It is still potentially an enormous, you know, thing. They, could, I think, they were probably really trying, and they just didn't realize how much money they were going to need to do it. And somebody outsourced it to to like a lowest bidder animation studio that ended up with this. And then it was like a different division that was spending the budget to get the voice actors. Maybe. I'm, I'm, so what was, I'm curious, you guys, what was the thought process that, like, what was, what was your back and forth and how did you land on, let's make Keith watch a Dragonlance animated well, film? Well, originally I was thinking we should make you watch the old D&D movie, like the one with um, Jeremy Irons. Yeah. I know we all went to see it in theaters, but that was a long ass time ago. And I was just thinking, you know, I want to watch Keith, watch, I want to make you watch that dumb movie. And then I remembered that this one exists and it's so much worse. <laughs> Have you seen this before? Like, yeah, Ronan gave it to me one year as a as a Keithmas gift. Nice, that makes sense. I, I own it on DVD. Oh, <laughs> so it's like if we weren't if we were not in quarantine, we could you could come we, over we, and we, we could, could do a watch party at John's mm-hmm. on the DVD. Mm. But yeah, and so you watch it, John, and it's terrible. Yeah, half actually. I don't think I ever even finished it. Although I may I may work on it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I I can also that is my I think biggest fear of this film is that it's going to be the like boring. (laughs) Like, I I just watched through like five minutes of it before we started recording. Yeah, skipping ahead, it doesn't look boring. It looks terrible. It looks looks (laughs) like it just looks like they. It was written by people who don't care about D and D who heard other people they don't like talk about D&D. 85% of Google viewers like this film, though. Yeah, but that's based on, what, three people who've seen it to the end? <laughs> and then a bot that only clicks yes. <laughs> they paid for a bot. <laughs> so the production studio is, is based out of a, a city in India, mm-hmm. and they've done nothing but terrible cartoons. Wow. I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes now. It has a 20% audience score and does not have enough critical, uh, like, critic reviewers to warrant it. The total count is not available. So no, like, film critics on Rotten Tomatoes gave this a score. 4,744 uh, at-home would-be critics did review it. Oof. A poorly animated tale that offers little new to the genre or the Dungeons and Dragons franchise. Please forgive me. Okay, now see, this you're a hater. David Cornelius from DVDtalk.com. I'm calling you out right now. Because you're saying, please forgive me if I had a hard time taking such characters as Sturm Brightblade and Flint Fireforge seriously. Well, that's on you, David Cornelius. Those are sure amazing is. Dungeons and Dragons names <laughs> that I, quite frankly, am sad I did not come up with. The the thing is, the whole Dragonlance campaign was clearly someone's game that they made up that they just decided to write up into a into a series of books. That's all of them. That's like Greyhawk was also yeah, that. That's not true. I think Drist might have been a game to begin with, but you could tell, you know, there, there was that's Forgotten Realms work right? that went in there. Yeah, Drist was Forgotten Realms, but yeah, but like Greyhawk was just Gygax's campaign that he hmm. then made the world of Greyhawk uh, was his thing, his baby. Uh, I, I'm, I'm rel- I feel that, especially at that time, because Dragonlance was the second setting, no? Was it? Mm. Hang 
on. This the is late nineties, I want to say. And uh, I, I think that there was a variety of them out at the time because because there was three in that era: Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, and Dragonlance. Plus, and then and then Ravenloft and uh, Planescape. So the D and D campaign settings. I want to know where where they came out of. Like I want to say that yeah, I'm looking at a timeline. This is actually very cool. If you go onto Wikipedia right now, listener, mm-hmm. and you look at Dr- Dungeons and Dragons campaign settings on the right. There's a uh, a timeline of the year release. So Blackmore is actually the first ever setting, <laughs> and then it's Greyhawk, then it's Forgotten Realms, then it's Mistara, Ravenloft, Pelennoir, and Dragonlance. Dragonlance is '84, dude. Like as I was saying, I was like, I remember it being real early. Yeah. Also notable, I suppose, is that it's a shared universe uh, created by Laura and Tracy Hickman. Ladies created Dragonlance. Uh... I'm pretty sure Tracy is a guy. Tracy Hickman. Yes, yeah. he's a he's a dude. Yes, he is a dude. Yeah. Or wasn't were they married? Yes, his wife Laura Hickman. It was a married couple that created Dragonlance. Chief they were discovering like, classic D and D. D and D nerd. So now here's now this I have jumped to this conclusion. Mm-hmm. The married couple that invented Dragonlance 100 percent had Dragonlance bedroom role play. I make it a very special point not to consider their sex lives. Well, that's where my brain went. Uh (laughs) They invented a shared universe for their fantasy setting as husband and wife, and you're telling me that they didn't bring that into the bedroom? I mean, it was their home game. It was all their friends who played those characters. Would you do that with your D&D characters? Well, they would both play their characters, and then they would bone. I don't know. I think they ran it. Then they'd play as two NPCs, two sexy NPCs. Mm-hmm. Draconians. Yep. So Ew. the Hickmans conceived Dragonlance while driving on their car on the way to TSR for a job interview. It was their job pitch. Hmm. Dragonlance. Pitch, guys. Yep. Got the, landed them the job and did a whole thing. And it the, started off uh, with the novel. Dragons of Autumn Twilight is was the very one, the beginning of it all. Yes, sir. So what's the deal? So the world of Dragonlance is described in da 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 da. You want you want the summary of the world of Dragonlance? Okay, I'm gonna yeah, like, do like, it. What, what, Having what never read a Dragonlance book in the last fifteen years, I'm just gonna remember this from high school. Well, so, well, on, but it just not necessarily the the timeline. I want to know like the theme, like you know, like Greyhawk is more like medieval fantasy, fantasy Forgotten Realms is like more high fantasy, like Ravenloft is gothic fantasy. Like why why does Dragonlance exist and why should we care about it as a setting? So I think it's. In some respects, it's low fantasy. In some respects, it's high fantasy. It's like low fantasy, but with a lot, a lot of dragon-based stuff happening all the time. Okay. The um, Part of the story, though, is that the dragons all died. I think they got killed off by the gods. There was this, this event called the Cataclysm that happened 300 years ago where the gods dropped a gigantic meteor on the world and it like blew everything up. And then mm-hmm. gods disappeared and stopped answering spells, so there's no clerics in the campaign setting. And during the events of the books, the gods start to come back. Mm-hmm. And kind of like you discover and the characters discover why they punished the world and what can be done to kind of forgive it. There's, um, yeah, it's kind of weird that it, it's like, it doesn't really have a niche that distinguishes it as obviously oh. as Greyhawk. Oh, it, or, uh, it, it does. It does. You, you guys are forgetting that TSR was acutely aware that Anne McCaffrey sold a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they were like, we have dragons in, uh, in the in title. The title. Yeah, but it's true that like I think that that's one of the maybe that 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 might just be the sell, right? 
It's if a, you can, like, I mean, there's also like you can get a dragon lance and ride around on a dragon and lance other dudes. Yeah, on, yeah. You know? So a you have dragon riders. Yeah, which is a unique to my understanding of Dungeons think, and Dragons. I think you mean riders of dragons. Dragon riders is uh, copyright Anne McCaffrey. Copyright Anne McCaffrey. <laughs> 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 the Dragon Riders of Pern. You know, I've read all of those books. Y'all. Big Pern is going to come for you. Oh, yeah. Ooh. All of them, Keith? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, okay, certainly all the ones McCaffrey wrote, because I know her kid kept writing them, Oof. and I did not read those. Have you, have you have... done the, the Brian Herbert books? Were you guys Dune boys? Did you no. read those? No. I read Dune. But I've like, heard I never... they're pretty terrible. But I, did, I didn't didn't keep going. McCa- like, I don't know. The, the McCaffrey ones, I really enjoy like i don't know and i i would like to go back i think to i mean have you re- have you guys read them or nope. no, no. Them? i read, yeah, I read like so an many. atlas of pern at one point so like i kind of know a little bit about it but not enough yeah. uh, i just i always liked the fact that there was that the there's like the main book series i want to say is basically nine books i want to say like there's there's like a oh, there are so many more no no no, no, no but the, I'm, t- I'm saying timeline wise like the main timeline like the timeline that people talk about when they're saying pern is they're talking about? Um, oh, that's a loud train driving by. I apologize, Keith. Um, uh, it's the first Pern book was published in '67. The last one written by Anne McCaffrey was 2012. So maybe I didn't read the 2012 one. I can t- I, here. I will look. I will go look at the Pern books on mute while you guys talk about something. So that that train is so that. loud, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. I'm looking at the list now, and it's. It's a lot. Okay, running running down the list. Dragonflight, Dragon... I'm saying the ones I've read. Dragonflight, Dragon Quest, White Dragon, Dragon Song, Dragon Singer, Dragon Drums, Moretta, the Dragon Lady of Pern, Norelka Story, Dragon's Dawn, Renegades of Pern, All the Weirs of Pern, Dolphins of Pern, Red Star Rising, Master Harper of Pern, Skies of Pern. So that's when I stopped. I believe was the Skies of Pern. Nope, that's not true. I read... This is too much Pern. Pern, 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 Pern. I, where's the Dragon's Eye? Dragon's Heart? Ain't nobody need this much Pern, Keith. Yep. So I believe The Skies of Pern was the last one I read. Yeah, 2001. That checks out. Keith, you read all of these books Mm -hmm. and resisted the call to play Dungeons & Dragons for how long? Here's the thing, though. (laughs) Is that Pern (laughs) is actually sci-fi. It's not fantasy. Yeah, it's the the Robo-Dragons. They're not robo-dragons. What they are is when you get into the history of it, like, for instance, specifically Dragon's Dawn, which was written in 1988. Getting deep pern here, you guys. So in Dragon's Dawn, it's like they're on a full-on spaceship. They're like a colony, like uh, like alien, uh, Weyland-Yutani style, where it's like you, you they found a, pl- a planet that's, like, hospitable enough that you can send humans to. Mm-hmm. And just go there and figure it out. They're like, oh, there's this erratic uh, meteor that comes by. It's going to be like a weird weather system, so on and so forth. It's 100% uh, like possible to colonize. They notice that the vegetation is all like has is young, right? They're like, there's no old trees on Pern, so uh, they go. They set up their little colony and all that stuff. And then this comet swings through orbit over Pern. When it gets between Pern and the sun, it heats up. And this stuff just starts falling from the sky, called th- which they call thread, which just sh- falls down and shoots everything, like eats up everything organic. And so the colonists are like, "Oh shit!" 
there's a natural creature on Pern called like fire lizards or whatever. They're like, haha, they look kind of like dragons. And they go like, and they shoot little tufts of fire because they actually built up a natural defense against this stuff called thread. Then they like bioengineer actual dragons to stop this thing because they're like, otherwise we're just going to get murdered. So we're going to have dragons that can breathe fire to burn this stuff up while it falls so that crops and stuff we can actually grow so we don't just like get eliminated. So that's the like the story of Pern. That's that's pure sci-fi. But then, so and then I, I see why I see why you liked this and were turned off by D and D because that sounds exhausting. Well, but you only get there like ten books in. Who are the villains in this scenario? Well, so how do you get now, conflict? But now, what's crazy about this, and this is again one of the reasons I'm in, is that there's like an intricate time travel plot that like. That comes with it. Because so dragons can teleport and then certain, like they determined that dragons could actually teleport through time. So there's two points in history that, um, what they call it, like there's like a long break between the thread falls. Normally it's every 50 years, but then twice in history, it's been 200 years that there hasn't been a thread fall. So because there's no thread fall or whatever, like the dragons are kind of, that's where the main book series takes place as after a long, a long break. Mm. And it's like most of the, um, like, especially in the first one, it's it's very much a almost, almost like Game of Thrones-ish where there's like high politics and stuff because people just don't believe Thread's ever going to fall again. Because like at this point, it's like so far removed from the like, there's no more tech. Mm-hmm. It's just basically a medieval world with some dragons. They're this weird shitty ruling class. They don't think Thread is ever going to fall again because it's been 200 years. They're like, it just stopped. So there's Did a lot the of- Did the comet just not show up? So that's where the time travel comes in. Of course. So they determine- from once they actually find the like wreckages of the um, the uh, the what do you call it, like the colonists, they get access to their like um, like uh, what's like stargazing equipment, astrology, not astrology, astronomy, astronomy stuff and whatever, and they determine that the orbit of this comet is actually been getting more and more off course. So there's like certain passes of it are like getting off course, and they're like something has actually done it. So because they determine that the dragons can actually teleport through time, they're like at those specific passes, there's three ideal points as to when you could knock it to knock the comet completely out of orbit so it's never going to pass Pern again. And they're like, but it's already happened twice, which means that it's already happened. So it's actually, they're like, we just need to do it a third time. And it turns out that they were the ones who did it the first two times by like time traveling back to these key points in history. There's some cool shit going on in Pern is what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> But you know, you understand why I'm saying, like, like to me, like that book series, what I'm just describing to you, is I'm agreeing it's completely insane. But to like high school reading, like versus just like Drizzt and his 500 flying puma cat, whatever, like those books didn't do it for me. Like this year, like there's a lot going on, and like I said, there's 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 politicking going on. Dude, you don't got to justify this shit. Everybody has some crappy stuff from when they were kids that they just oh, love. Yeah. I, I just I don't think okay. it was. I, I will. I, I love the Wing Commander books. I yeah, still read them every couple of years. Yeah, I just thought it was like very, like extremely ambitious. You know, like in terms of a like, and I'm I'm not necessarily saying it succeeds. Hold on, hold on. But it it sure it does. If she if she was putting out a book in 2012, that's like a 50 year, 60 year writing career. Oh, for sure. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, yeah, like, that? I mean, it's like, but I, I mean, probably uh, Ari Salvatore, like, <laughs> right? There you go. I got to at hand. Yeah. Scott, man, you lent those to me, and I couldn't do it. I tried so hard. I know, I know. I thought, 
I thought they if were great. Was and it turns out it. they're just me. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I might, I might take a look back at Pern. I want to say, like, because yeah. So like the main, the the Dragonflight, the, yeah, Dragonflight, Dragon Quest, White Dragon are the first trilogy that she published, and that's really just about like kind of like the riot, like thread falls on a two hundred year break, and just dealing with that. And the world, like I said, is kind of like petty squabbling at this point, and there's like kind of like these little empires and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, like a cataclysm of stuff eating everything organic that people don't believe in, mm-hmm. just like happens, you know. And that's like that's literally the first book, you know. And then they uh, they move there, they move forward from it. Hmm. I and and like I said, I was like. I don't know how the like I'm I'm looking here to see that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve more books after that. I don't know what those books are about. <laughs> like because twelve more books. Because that's it. Like like I said, that core set of nine, like there's nine books that take place in the timeline where they essentially save the planet. Mm-hmm. And then there's other books that go back into like points in history of the of the colony of the planet of the setting. I'm assu- and I'm assuming that's what those later books are, but I'm like, but do those matter? Because I know how they saved the planet, you know? Like I, I, and I think that was ultimately why I think Skies of Pern was the last one I read. Oh, wow. What is it? Two, yeah, like this is, this is dope. To ensure accuracy and consulted with a number of astronomers who planned and modeled comet impact and subsequent consequences. Like she did the science work is what I always thought was like. So that her books about people riding dragons to shoot thread falling from the sky would make sense. I'll bet she did the research. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm saying. Like even Dude, even her stop her, it. This is your beloved thing. You don't have to justify it. You're, no, you're but like, you know how like, you know how like we like Looper because the time travel makes sense. Like, no. No, the time travel doesn't make sense. It never makes sense. No, not Looper. It's Looper. mostly because Joe Gordon Levitt had all those prosthetics to look more like Bruce Willis. Sure. That's why I love that. Man. I don't know. I don't mind a time travel story that like literally takes like ten books. Like at no point in time is time travel even like mentioned. But it's like the seeds of those the long gaps and all that stuff. It's like she puts stuff in and then she makes them pay off. Like a lot of the fantasy crap that and even fan like. I didn't necessarily read Wing Commander, but I read the X-Wing series. <laughs> like, the X-Wing series is also very, very fun, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily like you're, like, planning stuff over over something on that scale where you're yep, planning yep, Commander. Yep, so, yep, Commander. So, Keith, that takes me to something I wanted to talk about. Did you guys see the trailer for Star Wars Squadrons that dropped today? No, but I saw the trailer for Bill and Ted. No, 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 no. Star Wars Squadrons is actually going to make me buy a next-gen gaming console because... Oh, it, it is multiplayer starfighting in the Star Wars universe. <sighs> takes place immediately after Return of the Jedi, and you can play as Rebellion or as uh, Imperial pilots. <laughs> so it's gonna be like, 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 like. I feel. I want to see you make five. good on this. You're gonna buy a modern console. This is happening. I think so. This is like five on five. Wing Commander stuff or five yeah. on five Tie Fighter, yeah. Where you don't have to deal with Maniac, you just have to deal with, I mean, probably me. Yeah, I was like, 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 from, I was like, you have to deal with uh, like a racist misogynist <clears throat> ten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Code name Maniac sixty nine sixty nine. Oh man! Hmm. But if you can get a good pilot crew together to run missions with. Mm-hmm actually do decoys actually do kickstarts and afterburns and mm. so especially with where we are at i think in gaming and like the now like the processing power and like 
computing power and just in general. Hang on, guys. Man, someone like, needs to do something about those trains. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Some people set up a blockade a little while ago, but that didn't seem to take. Um, what do you mean, some people? <laughs> I don't know. I can't comment. <laughs> I can't possibly comment at this time. Um, so, like with Fortnite, right? Like Fortnite is what almost it's like forty on forty, not forty on forty, as in terms of teams, right? But it's like twenty or forty people just shooting each other, like something like that. Yeah. Like so, but like we can now handle that level of PvP like 40 dudes running around on a map like mm -hmm. it's weird that i feel that like i said they haven't even this is five on five but it's like you could imagine a world where a death star run can happen yep you know and as long as the matchmaking and stuff is really fast like yeah absolutely some of those tie fighters gonna get blown up in five seconds but then you just jump in to another match mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know what i mean like i mean counter-strike is what 20 years old 25 years old yeah no, they they do even bigger things in uh, Eve Online. I mean, yeah. fifty on fifty, fuck. They they have thousand person battles. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to this. I, the trailer seemed to be exactly what I wanted from a video game for a long time. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But Eve Online, I was like, I know that they have the big things, but I, I've never seen like it doesn't look like tight Starfighter controls too too much like, oh it's definitely you, not you don't it, you don't dogfight your thing you kind of like pick the direction and go or at least yeah. maybe, you know when i played it and maybe it's changed yeah, yeah yeah so speaking of racist misogynists oh no 10 year olds and ea did you see their article on reddit about ea having a huge black lives matter problem uh, for nhl so NHL 20 has a bunch of like career modes. You can make your own team. You can design your own uniforms. Sure. And uh, yeah, because the world is awful, there were a bunch of awful, awful things that this player had encountered on EA. And then he did a bunch of research on why this was allowed. And that's because their um, complaint monitoring for this kind of stuff is player run, not EA run. Wow. So there's no... There's a group of player volunteers who address complaints from other players. So if you're using the N-word in your team and you spelled it with a one and it gets past the language filters and you're like, wait, that's wrong. I'm going to report this. It doesn't even go close to EA. That's it goes so to a, a bunch of player volunteers who then have to make a recommendation to EA to specifically have that one person addressed blocked you know messaged whatever ea doesn't care they don't do this but even if they did it's a one-on-one -on -one thing that goes through a player volunteer that's so council that's the thing there's some like lawyers blowing smoke out of their tentacle holes because they they can say that ea is not legally responsible because none of their employees were responsible for the, the decision making process you know you have no liability I gotta say, like the only game and, I play online is, and then the and then you read uh, Akima Lu, uh, his article on uh, the Players Tribune, and you're like, well, yeah, I guess you got it right. It is in the game. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Did you hear about Awful. the Tortorella thing? The what? Tortorella thing. Tortorella thing. So in the, uh, the 2016 World Cup, Tortorella said none of his like made it a point of saying none of his players would protest during the national anthem. Uh, yeah. Yeah, while yeah. the United States was playing in an international hockey tournament, his son is like, a his son is a, a member of the military, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, if you if you take a knee, you raise your fist, you do whatever else like that, you're benched for the rest of the tournament. I don't care who you are, period. That was 2016. But he's uh, in the most... So, like, John Tortorella is a screaming, insane, crazy coach. Like, the coach who's, like, thrown the chair onto the ice. The coach who's, like, ran through the hallway of the locker room to try to get into the locker room of the opposing team so that he could just yell at people and stuff, which is a crazy thing because it's like he's a coach. And he's not a very big, giant fit dude, but you're like, I'm going to run into a room full of hockey men and start screaming. And I'm a guy in my 50s, you know, like, good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. That's it. But like, just no, no shits to give John Tortorella. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was kind of step in the right direction, not all the way in the right direction. But yeah, he uh, he came out last week to be like, if uh, if a player like wants to um like have a like a protest and he clears it with me in advance and like talks about it with the guys or whatever under certain circumstances i would like approve it i don't think i'd go for it in an international game or whatever but i was like you're not doing all the way the right thing but those little like little things like that is like this is like an angry asshole who four years ago was like absolutely not i would bench you and i think that even a step towards like that that whole thing of like saying like you know what i was i was wrong <laughs> and there's a better way did you 100% do a 180? No, but like you're you're tilting. And I was like, I think that stuff is when they talk about like effectiveness of protests and whatever else is like if you have a guy who's like a career asshole, like and that that was the other thing too. Um, they were talking about it on Puck Soup is they were like when all of the stuff came out about coaches in general just being awful people, for some reason Tortorella never came out. So I was like, mm-hmm. maybe he's not a bad person. He's just an asshole. <laughs> Like by all, like you, you, he was absolutely on the like short list of I was like, oh, I bet you Torts is next. Like there's no. going to be a player who who stands up and says Torts said something racist. Torts said something like bigoted. Torts did, said this. Torts kicked me. Torts hit me. Like so much of his personality is that guy. And in a time where every coach who had done this, like everyone was like empowered to like start talking about their coaches and the abuse of power in the NHL Tortorella's name somehow never came up. So I was like, maybe he's just an asshole. Like you're not, you can be not a bad person, but just kind of a scummy shitty dude who doesn't actually like just walks up to that line and doesn't cross it. It's a weird thing. Unlike uh Kendall coin Schofield. Unlike Kendall coin Schofield. Did you hear what her thing was? I saw a headline. I didn't look further. I said, uh, oh, no. So Kendall Coyne Schofield is a uh, hockey player. She plays for the U.S. national women's team. She's one of the, the premier hockey players. In the Lady world. superstar kind of thing. Mm. Like a, Yeah, a, she did the, the, the NHL skills competition two yeah. years ago. Um, she came out uh, as the protests were starting and on her Twitter said, you know, Black Lives Matter. Uh, I support this. This is great. And then someone screenshotted a tweet from uh 2016 and was like hey uh this you and it was her radically and angrily criticizing colin kaepernick for his form of protest Uh, and she was just like um yeah and uh had to walk that back pretty strongly look walk back her supporter walk back her tweet from four years ago well Walk back her tweet from four years ago. Uh, in her defense, she's like, I'm not deleting it. I did say that. I was yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, but, like, had to had to really, really swallow it's, hard. It's one of the, like, so, and I, I know we mentioned at the top of the show that we wouldn't get into it too, too much. <laughs> but, like, I, I just, like, one of my comments or, or thoughts that I've been having a lot in the last couple of weeks 
is, and again, maybe she forgot and I don't want to necessarily give her that free pass, but I was like, but if you have said something awful, you can, instead of just saying, I support whatever, you could say, I said something awful in the past and I was wrong. And now I support them. You know what I mean? Like there's like, you take the, own up your shittiness. If you have said it, don't try to like brush it under because you did say it. And there is your, like, I feel that if you can acknowledge your own shittiness to and move forward, other than just like, like it's like the Kendall Coins Coinfield. It, it's super important. And it was like a Kendall uh, Coins Coinfield had commented in 2020 to be like, I used to have a think a certain way. And over X period of time, I educated myself and found out that I was wrong. And like to your like, and it wasn't someone who dug through her Twitter from four years ago. It was her saying, "Here's a tweet that I made four years ago that is awful." And since then, I've taken X Y Z and educated myself. Mm-hmm. That has so much more power than someone dug up and had to hold had to hold you accountable for your shittiness. You could have said, "Yeah, I said these things, and I was like wrong." Is much better than someone digging through your trash and being like, "Uh, you're bad. Like, why are you hiding this kind of thing?" Especially in Twitter, internet's forever, yo. <laughs> like. Yeah. Well, that just happened on uh, my neck of the woods. One of the Arrowverse actors just got shit canned for his old Twitter tweets, bunch of misogynistic garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hartley Sawyer, who's on Flash, just, mm-hmm. just like, oh yeah, I did spend two years between working on daytime soap operas and getting my job on the TV show Flash, shit posting awful stuff on Twitter. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's it. It's like I feel that you can. Like if you own if you own your shit and it doesn't have to like it's like it's one of those things like where if you did something if I did something bad to someone, it's much more powerful for me to come and say I did something bad to you than it is for that person to find out about it and then I say I'm sorry. Well like like what Drew Brees did and like what the NFL Roger Goodell did. Which yeah, is like, well Drew Brees was a very uh vocal critic of the Colin Kaepernick protests mm-hmm. and, and he came right out and was just like I was I'm not and uh, the NFL basically came out and said that they were wrong in trying to limit those protests and uh, would be working with the players to <laughs> um, find ways to give them more ways to uh, express speak them. out about yeah. uh, express themselves uh, in the future yeah, man, Trump loved that. I'll bet. Oh, you saw the um, someone someone talked about that. Just tagging it back up to the the EA thing when like EA, EA made the like the as is the the motto right now. Um, a lot of companies are are supporting Black Lives Matter and whatever else. And like EA said that and was like, oh da 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 da, like and all this, and they were just sort of like someone was just sort of like, if you want, like if you really meant this, and you're like uh, Colin Kaepernick on the cover of like Madden, like yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like you're like, is it, there's one football player that almost everybody on the planet knows the name of, even though he hasn't played a professional game in like four years, five years, or because whatever. he was blackballed by because every he, freaking team, exactly. And you're like, and and it's still messed up because he, he, to my knowledge, God, you would know this better, still is not signed anywhere. Oh no! Uh, last like, year wasn't he like a star starting quarterback? No, no, no. That's that that and that's what the yeah, NFL. No. He was a he was a starter on the bottom half of the league. No, his, football is one of those games that is very heavily uh, analytics heavy, mm-hmm. yeah. and his his statistics show him to be better at the time that he stopped playing uh, than most of his peers. Like he was mm-hmm. a he was a 
a top third quarterback in hmm. the okay. in the richest league in in professional sports. Yeah, and uh, could not get a job. Yeah, and this is now several years later. So now he'd probably be able, like like he one hundred percent. Last year he had a, a, a media pro tryout, but couldn't get any of the teams to come and and scout him. Yeah. Because still, he was like still unofficially unofficially blackballed. But but then, from my understanding, at least even with that that level of look, they're like there's there are teams. There's like bottom half teams that he could be a starter, and he could probably be a backup on almost any team. Like like it's like that's his skill level has not evaporated. So the idea that he doesn't have a job still is. Like, well, let's not forget this is a professional league that gave Michael Vick a second chance. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like so. Get out of here, NFL. Um, we didn't talk about Mount Rushmore, and we're very, very close to an hour. Do we want to mm-hmm. want to push our Mount Rushmore to another episode? Yes, I, I feel that that's like that's fair, a, it's, and it's a hell of a conversation too. So if you listen to hashtag Garbage Time, I don't know. Uh, we actually have a Mount Rushmore. I feel that we should let our listeners know what yeah. the Mount Rushmore that we're planning is. What is? is- I believe that the official title is uh, the Mount Rushmore of movies you watch when you're waiting for Picasso's to deliver food when you're hungover on a Sunday. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think we 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 shortened it to uh, the Mount Rushmore of hangover movies, which I then realized is hilarious because there's only three hangover movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if they'd make it onto the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> One of them might. But then I started thinking that the OG Hangover is not a terrible Hangover. Oh, it's movie. a great Hangover movie. It's, it's solid comedy. That's like whatever. I don't know if it would make my top four, but like the actual, the first Hangover, I think is a is a is a safe. Put and it on. Scene when they open the bathroom and the t- there's a tiger in there is solid yeah. gold. That's solid gold. Uh, the 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 Mike Mike Tyson like waiting for the drum break. Let's take a Phil Collins. Shh, it's the best part. Exactly. It's amazing. There's like there's so many Ken Jeong. Yeah. yeah shit up. Exactly. Oh, Keith, if we're looking at something just to round out, I watched Stadium Stampede. Ooh, mm. Ooh that was delicious. We, we talked about this at the end of the last show, John, when we were talking about the fact that so uh WWE is kind of terrible. Uh for a wide variety of reasons, including just firing people. Uh, when COVID happened, even though they're a big thing, lobbying so that they could keep wrestling happening in Florida, Florida. lobbying the state of Florida. Uh, If you watch Dark Side of the Ring, potentially covering up murders, you know, like they're they're just a bad company. Um, And they were putting on a bad wrestling product for a very long time, up to and including right now. I Mm -hmm. just, for some reason, uh, for another podcast, I'm watching Backlash and it's awful. It's the most recent pay-per-view they've done. Uh, I, I, can't, I haven't watched any of them since WrestleMania because that was so it's unwatchable. Um, when you say so uncomfortable, to give a highlight, why was WrestleMania uncomfortable? Well, it's the biggest show of the year, and they had to they made the decision to film it in front of no audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they did not have any of the talent act like there was no audience. So and, like the audience, like they still come out and make their entrances. Like it's li- like literally like they're following the programming in a wrestling game. So they're still like putting their hands up to an empty audience to be like, like hello, here I am. Like they're not even playing to the camera. Like there's yeah. a way to be like, hey, audience in the camera that I know is there, even though you're so not So they're here. like playing to the, to the empty house. Playing to and an they, empty, yeah. It's so yeah, weird. They run up like, the top corner. They run up the top corner and, and flex and you're like, no one's cheering because there's no one there. And, and again, it's one of those things where 
just to, to touch real briefly on, on this is like it was WrestleMania. Like to, to, to their credit, they did the Firefly Finos and they did the Boneyard match and they did whatever. They did do some things, but this is their like their flagship show of the year. And I was like, someone had to have said when they were like filming and figuring out how they were going to do it, that this looks dumb. Mm-hmm. And then, and they, sh- and they just should have come up with something better, but they're like, nope, but they just steamrolled head putting out a crappy product because they said WrestleMania is this weekend and there's no way we could move it or postpone it. We're just going to do it anyway. We're going to lobby the state of Florida to let ourselves do it and then do a shit job at it. You know, like it's like, it's like the double, it's like the double whammy of you did like shady business dealings to be allowed to do it. And then the product that you put on wasn't good. <laughs> You're like, great. great. Yeah. It screwed those guys. Um, so anyway, uh, a couple, a year and a bit ago, uh, a bunch of cool indie wrestlers were like, we're going to start our own thing. They got buy-in from the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars who runs an NFL team. So it was a, like legit billionaire investor. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're going to start making a weekly TV show. We're going to call it AEW. It was like the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, son of uh, son of a plumber, Dustin Rhodes, uh, Kenny Omega, who's like arguably slightly on the decline, but like had a period of time of being like legitimately the best wrestler in the world, like by most standards. Uh, and a couple other guys were like, we're just going to start our own federation. They started, they did one pay-per-view, it was a huge success. They then had another pay-per-view and launched a weekly television show. Hmm. And it's, and it's like amazing. Like it's the exactly, it's, I, it's not necessarily for everybody. They play more into comedy than necessarily. Cause a lot of WWE wrestling is like, oh, we're going to keep it very, very serious. And this is going to be serious drama. But I'm like, no, you, you're not you HBO. You have a swamp wizard as one of your main characters. How right? fucking serious you want me and, to And that's that. it. Like embrace your nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, like at one point, like the, like something that happened recently on, uh, on AEW television is they had like one of the bad guy, um, stables run by Chris Jericho called the inner circle had like a celebration after a loss. So they, they, they lost this match that Scott's going to talk about the stadium stampede, but then they had a celebration of team spirit on television to show, to show, yeah, to show the world that they were like, they were still good as friends and they like, they gave each other presents and stuff. And it was like, and one of them gives like, uh, Sammy Guevara gives Chris Jericho a framed photo of Mark Anthony, like the singer, like a black and white framed photo. <laughs> and like, and Jericho's like, Mark Anthony, I love him. What an inspiration. I'm like, that's not, I'm just like, that's just funny comedy. Uh-huh. Like in the realm of you just had a huge loss and a guy gives a picture, a dude, a framed picture of Mark Anthony. I'm like, that's just fun. Like, I'm like, that okay. has nothing to do with wrestling. And they're, they're, it's not just that, like, they had one of those YouTube videos where they all fight each other remotely, where they just punch the camera, and the, the other guy reacts. And there's There's been a bunch of those going around yeah. during the COVID times, like makeup challenges, and they had yeah. one that was wrestling, and it was great. It was just like, they're, they're being run by people who are paying attention to what other people are watching. And, and it makes it, all the difference. It, it also, it's like, it, it's clear, it's so much more fun to me to watch wrestling as a art form when you can tell that the people that are performing are into their performance and they're having a good time and they're not just like going through the motions. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're just like into what they're doing. And it's like, it's so much more compelling. It's also, I mean, they, they, they have other, I guess, like benefits to like, they need to make two hours of television a week. They go Wednesdays, eight to 10, whereas raw is three hours on Mondays. Smackdown is two hours on Fridays. And there's NXT, which is two hours on Wednesdays. And there's uh, like superstars or whatever. That's another hour somewhere here and there. So it's like you have like the same writing staff writing 10 hours of content a week. That's a lot. 
Yeah, exactly. You're like, inevitably, you're going to be making bad product at that point. Whereas like, yeah, you get to be focused two good hours and, and let the guys go. Anyway, Scott, Stadium Stampede, go. So Stadium Stampede is a match that happens in the football stadium where the Jacksonville Jaguars play, mm-hmm. which is inspired because the owner of, of AEW, the main investor, uh, has this giant stadium that no one He's is not doing using. Yeah, exactly. That's it. There's no football. Uh, they set up a ring in the middle of the field and mm-hmm. get all the Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders out there masked up just to like, cheer. Yeah. Uh, the inner circle of Chris Jericho's faction. The huge cheer for Sammy, and then he immediately eats like a finisher after doing the flip. Like, no, the, the he, he moonsaults for... into nothing. <laughs> moonsaults and just bails out. Like, it's the best. Yeah. Uh, Versus the the elite, the the group of the founders. So uh, the young bucks, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and new recruit, uh, Broken Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy. which is just like, <laughs> uh, and they they basically have a, a false count anywhere, no disqualification match, all through the stadium. Yeah, and um, they go as amazing and as ridiculous as you possibly could. Yeah, including like how you know you're in for a match is Hangman Page doesn't show up at the start of the match. He has a drinking problem in character. Like he's like, so his whole deal is he's the only one of that crew that's not an executive. So like if you're following all the backstage stuff, he's they're like, hey, you want guys like hang out after the show? And they're like, no, we have to like watch the dailies and like get the editing and like and move in the tear. And he's like, okay. So he just started drinking. <laughs> so he's just like a sad dude who just like drinks. And he's like, man, screw you guys. So he doesn't show up to the match. But it's like, not per- per- particularly performance inhibiting. Like yeah. he kind of follows in the Stone Cold Steve Austin thing, where he like has a beer with someone at ringside, and you're just like, oh, that's a thing that wrestling has done for a long time. Yeah. Like, and when he does show up, he kicks ass. But it's like, yeah. will he? Will he? Won't? Will he show up? Will he not show up? He's like, kind of like. Anyways, he doesn't show up at the start of the match, so the the other team has a numerical advantage. Yeah. But then a good five minutes in, Hangman Page shows up. On a horse, on an actual horse, and and chases poor Sammy Guevara completely off the field, charging at him on horseback. Oh man! Then he then then like, Hangman Page then, then needs to get lost in the arena, still on a horse. So it's like twenty minutes into the match, and he hasn't thrown a wrestling move yet. He's now yep. lost, like riding around a horse through the tunnels beneath an arena, and then he just goes up and he sees that the bar is inexplicably open for some reason, and he's like, okay. And just hops off the horse and then just goes drinking and just like hangs out drinking at the bar. And, and that's so- not the, mo- the amazing part, Keith. He tells the horse to stay. Yeah, he goes, stay. And then just walks up walks up the mountain. Then he shows up and then the bad guy, one of his bad guy opponents shows up uh, to the bar, sits down at the bar, and Hangman Page like pours him a drink, slides him a drink, they share a drink, and then they're like, they nod to each other, and then they fight. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, stuff like that. Again, it's and just like... And again, not not only the fight, because one of the guys is a cowboy, he ends up on top of the bar, being dragged through all the drinks on the bar. <laughs> Smashing him to all the way down the bar, just like going through. And then Classic him and Kenny Spider-Man. Omega share a drink, but Kenny Omega's straight edge, so he drinks the milk. Which is also like a callback to like Kurt Angle, who drinks milk. Like, there's so much nonsense. There's, uh, at one point, Chris Jericho thinks he has a pin for the win. And the referee's like, no, you don't have a pin. And Chris Jericho... It was only like, two. It was only like, two. It was three. It was three. He's like, you're a shitty ref. He's like, go to replay. Go to replay. So him and like Jericho and the referee go to the little tent, like in the NFL arena, to watch the replay of the thing. <laughs> and then uh, she comes out and is like, after video replay, 
yeah. the call on the field stands, it was only two. Yeah. <laughs> Jericho's like, you're a shitty ref, Aubrey. <laughs> uh, and then my favorite part was Matt Hardy in the pool. Yeah, so... God, Matt Hardy, they end up in, like, the, the infinity pool for the VIPs uh, out in the in the stands. Yeah. And... Uh, two other guys grab Matt Hardy and they start to try to drown him in the water. They're, they're dunking him in and then they pull him up out of the water and he's wearing his costume from the late nineties. Twenty years ago. The music plays and he does the, the finger guns. Yeah. So they so throw him back in the water and he comes out as his second gimmick that Matt Hardy. V1. Matt. Yeah, one of, <laughs> yeah, me one, then big money. Matt is the third one. V one comes out, but then the, the infographic from V one yeah. comes around the screen Dude. and amazingly they can read it. <laughs> Yeah. They all stop and like look over to the left and can read the thing. And they were just sort of like, Matt can hold his breath for more than one minute. <laughs> and then, of course, the, you know, the announcers explain it because they're just sort of like, that pool must be filled with waters of the lake of reincarnation. Because at Matt Hardy's home, there's a lake of reincarnation, which if you get thrown into, you can become another one of your gimmicks from your past wrestling history. Mm-hmm. But you're like, not only are they like, but the announcers are like, of course, this must be what's going on. The water in the pool at the VIP of the Jacksonville Jaguars Arena is filled with water from Matt's house in North Carolina. And while all this idiocy is happening, like there's also some crazy stunts. Uh, Matt yeah, Jackson has a moonsault throw. off. Matt Jackson does a moonsault off the the uprights. Oh yeah, field that, goal poles. That's a um, big thing to jump off of and do a backflip. Like a moonsault, John is a a full. Full backflip, kind of onto your feet, but then imagine climbing up the goalpost of mm-hmm. an doing it off of that, and it's that's quite high. Mm-hmm. And then it's into a crash pad, but Sammy eats a one-winged angel off of like the like second bowl almost. Yeah, like Jeez. you know, yeah, you're like these like that's a good fifteen or twenty foot drop. Yeah, that's it. it it's so good, and it, it got good wrestling. Like I said, to me, good wrestling mixed with people who are self-aware and actually allowing themselves to be like funny and have fun is I'm like all in ha that's one of their pay-per-views I'm like all in for AW I watch it every week hmm. they're, they're just they're just plain old better we didn't even we're not going to get into it fully but we didn't even talk about Orange Cassidy oh. <laughs> and that's the whole thing um Thanks for sticking around to the very end of this show. That means you're our number one fan. As our number one fan, maybe you're wondering a way that you can show your support for this. We've set up a few ways, and the boys are going to tell you about it now. If you like this show, you might know other people that like this show, or maybe they'll like some of the other stuff that we're doing on the website. If that's the case, you can tell them all about it using all of the social networks, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're on all of those. Or you could just you know, send people links directly to the website. Or if you live in a world without the internet and you only listen to podcasts, you can tell people about it with your human mouth. There's other ways we could support us, John. If your interest in supporting us extends to the financial section, you might consider patreon.com slash 9to5cc. If you go there, you can get perks like early content, you can get your questions answered on the air, and you can get extra art. We've been doing this show for a long time, so we kind of know what we're doing. Not really. 905.cc. <laughs> Podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.